Welcome to The World is Leadership. My name is Emmanuel Gobillo. In this show, I want to take a different approach to leadership. No buzzwords, no jargon. Instead, for each episode, I'll just pick up a random word and I'll use it to uncover a valuable lesson for leaders like you. Some words will be mundane, some extraordinary, some will be more obscure than others, but I'll use them all in order to help you become a better leader. So join me as we explore the word is leadership, turning everyday words into extraordinary insights. Subscribe, listen in, and let's start leading. Welcome back. Welcome back to The Word is Leadership. This is our ninth episode. And if you're joining us for the first time, thank you. Thank you for being here. I'm always hesitant to say thank you for joining us because, well, quite frankly, I'm here uh, in my office in London on my own. But I do it because I just can't help but be grateful when I see the number uh, of people listening to the show rising week on week. And I only hope that my ability to do this is increasing as the same rate as the number of people listening. So thank you uh, for joining us. Thank you for coming back if you've joined us before. It's not always easy, uh, and I definitely can see that some of the past episodes are better than others. So please get in touch on the word is leadership dot com. Share your feedback. Share any any comments you might have. Uh, And I can't improve if if you don't tell me what you think so please carry on getting in touch and and talking of feedback thank you also for indulging me in the numerous mentions uh, of the book which was published last week i actually uh, i've always been somewhat uncomfortable with with self-promotion believe it or not but i i'm also super conscious uh, about the amount of work that the team at routledge um, have put into the book uh, to get it out there and and to get you to discover it so consider it the promotion of a great team rather than than the promotion of a book uh, and and i'd love you to help me um get get the book be discovered and 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 get it out there and of course by all means if you if you do read it i also want to know what you think so um but you know we're not here to talk about anything other than our random word of the week so as usual i will now shut my eyes i will open my dictionary on the random page i'll place my finger randomly on a word uh, and that will instantly become the star of the show second only to well this week's sound effects so here we go Now, I know, I know that spring is next week here in the UK, but in pre-production, yes, no, despite what you may think, there is some pre- and some post-production on this show, but I decided uh, that I could do with some early spring sounds. Um, to be fair, I'm not even certain these are spring bird sounds, but they will do. So anyway, let's use this sound effect as a springboard. You see what I did there? Springboard, springboard. Uh, and to this week's word, you are listening to The Word is Leadership with me, Emmanuel Gobillo. And this week, the word is archaic. A-R-C-H-A-I-C. Archaic. And the definition, primitive, antiquated, no longer in common use, though retained for special purposes. Archaic. Hmm. Tough one. Um, Tough one, this one. I can't really go back to talk about forgotten and archaic processes, uh, because we covered that in socks. Uh, I can't do anthropology, because we did that in witch. 
where am I going to go with archaic? I must say, uh, for me, and I say this as I'm not a linguist, but archaic does not does have some kind of negative connotation, a bit like liability. Uh, maybe not necessarily negative, but archaic says something about relevance. You know, unlike old-fashioned or just old, which could just just as well be relevant today, archaic implies that things are no longer relevant, that they're no longer of any use. In fact, I think that's probably where I'm going to go this week. I think I want to talk about our obsession with the new, about our rejection of anything past as being outdated, outmoded, no longer relevant, archaic. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not about to tell you that everything in the past is still relevant or indeed was better. Uh, Our obsession at looking back through rose-tinted glasses annoys me. Um, Our ability to discount everything in the past that was awful and concentrate only on what was great is, is tiresome. But I equally dislike this notion that everything today is so different, that everything we are experiencing has never experienced before. I always say, my great-grandmother, who I did get to meet because she lived to the age of 99, she was born in the age of the horse and she died in the age of the gent engine. So I'm not sure that our claim to experience unprecedented levels of change because we've gone from the jet engine to the search engine stands up to much scrutiny, honestly. I, but I guess what I want to focus on today is more the need for leaders to be objective about their relationship with time. The need to understand how they look at the past and for what. Let me try to unpack this, the thought with a story. In fact, uh, I'll make it two stories. Well, the first is a kind of homage to Gustave Eiffel, who was born in my hometown of Dijon in France. Um, the, the Gustave Eiffel who complained famously that he was jealous of his tower, uh, as it was more famous than he was. But but he had uh, it was the hundredth anniversary of the, his death, which was commemorated in France at the end of December last year. So, so let me let me pay my own homage to uh, this son of Dijon. Now, he's known, of course, for his tower, but, but he was also responsible for many other landmarks that have come to define many cities. He engineered the structure of the Statue of Liberty. He engineered the Budapest railway station. Um, he was always a man of progress and a man of vision as an engineer and an architect. But let's focus on his tower, a monument to modernity, which was built for the Paris Universal Exhibition. And it was really built to celebrate the future. The idea of the tower was all about modernity. It was about turning archaic Paris towards the future by building something completely new and, above all, something that would stand out as being different against this Parisian skyline. And... and well, of course, the Parisians hated it. It was seen as a disgrace. It was a monstrosity in the middle of the beauty that is Haussmann's Paris. The only positive that the Parisians could see was that it was meant to only be standing there for a, for a short period of time. It was supposed to be taken down uh, after the exhibition. But unfortunately for them, the advent of radio and the need for a signal tower meant that it was kept there 
uh, and has now come to define the city. So there's one clear lesson from this story, and that is that progress demands change, and more often than none, change that is felt to be imposed or gratuitous, as the Tower was, will always be resented. But that doesn't mean it isn't right. And, and the Eiffel Tower, as an exhibit, was right. It was a marker of progress for a fair that was all about celebrating innovation. It was all about the new. But in order to fully unpack these thoughts about archaic and the lessons that the word might hold for, for leaders, I need to tell you a second story. It's a similar yet different story, because we're still in Paris, that's similar, but this time we're looking at another monument in Paris. And I want to talk about Le Louvre, this most visited museum in the world. Uh, and if you want to know how I know that, the answer is I'm French, and culturally we are programmed to know anything that makes us a greater nation than anybody else and make us feel superior. So I know that. It's the most visited museum in the world. Anyway, the Louvre... <laughs> was not always the well-loved institution that it is today. It wasn't loved by the revolutionaries, uh, who didn't like what it stood for as a royal structure. So it is them, it is to them, actually, that we own the, the Museum of Art. Um, and it wasn't loved by many French people, uh, because before it became fully a Museum of Art, it was also the, um, the housing for the Ministry of Finance. And if you're French, there is one thing you don't like, is the Ministry of Finance. I guess that's true of most nations. Uh, it was in 1981, upon his election as, as President of France, that François Mitterrand and Jacques Lang, uh, his culture minister, decided to dedicate the entire building to art. So it was partly a museum, partly a ministry, and they said, no, let's make the whole thing a museum. And then the Grand Louvre project... Uh, became one of President Mitterrand's totemic uh, grand travaux, the big projects uh, that he had. He built the new opera house in Paris. He built the Arch uh, de la Défense, uh, which was erected, in fact, to house, to rehouse the finance ministry. And, of course, the Grand Louvre acquired his now famous glass pyramid, or pyramids, because there's some small ones next to the big one. Now, we know from Eiffel that um, this was unlikely to be welcome, and guess what? Well, it wasn't. I mean, many forgetting that there was just a museum before and a car park uh, that they could never access, decried it as a, as, as a monstrosity, despite the fact that it was a pedestrian plaza. But they said, no, it's a monstrosity with a glass pyramid in the middle. And to show you also that conspiracy theories are not new, it was said that the pyramid was a symbol of Freemasonry that Mitterrand wanted to assert uh, the Masonic order on France. So the key here is that whilst both the Eiffel Tower and the Louvre Pyramid went from being hated to being accepted to eventually being somewhat emblematic, the idea behind them was very different. So the tower, the Eiffel Tower, was a monument designed to turn France purely towards the future. It was firmly all about innovation and the future. The pyramid was different. It was designed by Mitterrand to anchor France present in its past in order to turn it to the future. It was about bringing relevance to the past rather than ignoring it. And this is where I think the lesson from Archaic is for leaders. I think there's three ways to look at the relevance of the past. Let, let, let's call them the museum, the tower, and the pyramid. So you can look at the past as a museum, 
like Le Louvre used to be. And, and you can be dedicated to maintaining, to polishing, to displaying, to protecting. It's about seeing it as the source of all culture. And as such, not to be changed or to be adapted, but to be protected. And leaders of museums are custodians of that past. They see their role as being protectors of what they inherited in order to pass it on to future generations. The tower view of the past is to treat it just as that, as the past. The value resides only in the fact that it brought us here. But in and of itself, the past is of no relevance to our future. We may be able to learn from it, although by implication, because we're here, we probably already have. But it shouldn't be our primary focus. Leaders who operate with a tower view are revolutionaries insofar as they care only about what happens next with little to no regard about what came before, only as a judgment that it wasn't good enough. And then you have the pyramid view of the past. And the pyramid view is the past is the anchor to our future. This pyramid view states that within our history lies the key that opens our future. It does not necessarily map out the future on a straight continuum, but sees history as something that can help us propel forward. I call leaders with this pyramid view stewards. Unlike custodians, they don't see their role as maintaining, nor do they adopt the revolutionary mindset of rejecting, but stewards use the past as a springboard to the future. Maybe my use of the springboards for the sound effect was more prescient than I, than I thought, um, but I have to be honest, it was purely coincidental. The truth, though, is that every model is reductive. Things never fall into neat categories. But in the case of archaic, our view of the past matters because, like so many other things, it informs the nature of our actions. Custodians, revolutionaries, stewards all look at their organizations in very different ways. If you compare a family business to a tech startup, for example, you'll see that the weight of the past brings different pressures on the third generation family member than the absence of any past does to a startup leader. But like most model, once it's reductive, it helps us not so much in informing our action, but rather in reflecting on our preferences. If your preference is that of a custodian, walking in the shoes of a revolutionary might well help you to see the point of stewardship. If you're a steward, understanding that others are custodians or revolutionaries will go some way to explain some of their frustrations or some of their fears that they experience in, in, in light of your actions. And if you're a revolutionary, well, thinking like a custodian might show you that whilst things may not need to be broken to move forward, it, it, it may be beneficial to know the value of what you're about to break. So I guess the word archaic reminds us that why we all put a value on the past our appreciation of it, the nature of that value can be vastly different, even negative for some. And, and our role as leaders, by definition, is to chart a course forward 
And we cannot do so effectively without knowing what value we put on the past. So let me leave you with this week's question. Custodian of a museum? Revolutionary in a tower? Or steward of a pyramid? Which is your leadership modus operandi? Well, thank you for tuning in to The Word is Leadership. I hope you find our exploration of today's word interesting. If you haven't already, then please subscribe to ensure you never miss an episode, each one helping you to lead better through unexpected words. And if you want to get in touch, share your thoughts, and, well, why not contribute a word for a future episode, you can always reach me at thewordisleadership.com. Until next time, this is Emmanuel Gobillot wishing you a great week.